To start this afternoon's session, it is my pleasure to introduce Spencer Greenberg. Spencer is a mathematician and an entrepreneur. He founded Sparkwave, a startup foundry which, which creates novel software products designed to solve problems in the world, such as the need for scalable care for depression and also technology for improving the social sciences. He also founded clearerthinking.org, which offers free tools and training programs to help you improve your decision-making and reduce thinking biases. He will be talking about what makes effective altruism so strange, using data from four new studies, which examine perceptions on catastrophic risk, charity cost effectiveness, animal suffering, and self-reported personality. We should have a few minutes for questions after his talk, so use the Visibo app or the website at sf.eaglobal.org slash polls. And now, join me in welcoming Spencer Greenberg. Hello, thanks for coming, I really appreciate it. Um, so I'm really excited to present to you some studies that we've been doing related to effective altruism. We've got some really cool, interesting new data. Um, and so I'll just give you a quick background. My company, Sparkwave, we build new companies designed to solve problems in the world. Um, so we look for problems that we think could be solved with software. We try to develop a version of a product that could work on that problem, and we spin out these companies, and we bring in CEOs to run them. So we use social science a lot in our work. Uh, we do use it for things like studying human happiness, studying decision-making, studying productivity, and actually working the social science into the development of our products. And so some of the work we did today is actually leveraging our own technology for running experiments. So just to give you a quick taste, three of the products that we've been working on, we have Uplift, which is an automated program for people who are depressed. We have some really interesting uh, results that it reduced depression by about 50% in the first month of use for our, our pilot users. If you want to check that out, you can. Uh, clear thinking for decision-making, and then guided track, which is a new programming language we developed for uh, behavior change. But today, I'm going to talk to you about these four studies we ran the first is around charity cost-effectiveness. Uh, the second is around the probability of dis different catastrophic events occurring in the world. The third is about views on animal suffering. Uh, and the fourth is about community. And so I chose these studies in particular because these cover four of the biggest areas that effective altruists tend to think about um, when they're thinking about doing good. And so hopefully we'll have a little bit of data on each of these that will maybe make you think about it a little bit differently. Now, I want this to be interactive. So we're going to play a little game. Uh, when you see this symbol, it means that I want you to make a prediction about the outcome of the study I'm about to tell you about. So I'll ask you a yes or no question. Uh, please raise your hand like the panda bear if you think the answer is yes. Please put your hand on your shoulder like that dude if you think the answer is no. All right, so just a quick caveat. Each of these studies, you should really think of these as raising hypotheses. None of these are definitive answers. Uh, each of the studies has limitations. If I had more time, I would be happy to regale you with all of the limitations of these studies, but we don't have the time for that. Um, so just keep that in mind. And a little bit about how we recruit people. So we recruit people on Facebook. So we actually were able to recruit quite a lot of effective altruists on Facebook to be involved in our studies, but also recruited non-effective altruists on Facebook as well. Uh, we also recruit people from Amazon Mechanical Turk, which is an online recruitment platform where we limited it to U.S. Uh, workers only for that. And just a quick a couple of thoughts about this. Interestingly enough, the age demographic breakdown of Mechanical Turk is very similar to that of effective altruists. Um, also, interestingly, 
the Mechanical Turk population breakdown of how economically liberal people are is also extremely similar, like shockingly, weirdly similar to that of effective altruists. Um, however, it's not a perfect representation of, it's like not a perfect control group for effective altruism uh, because effective altruists are somewhat more socially liberal. They lean a little bit more male, like 57% versus 46% for Mechanical Turk. They are more likely to hold graduate degrees and they're more likely to make $100,000 or more. So just keep those things in mind when, you're, when we're comparing those two groups. All right, so let's delve into the first study, which is about the cost-effectiveness of charities. And I want to give a quick shout-out to Rob Wiblin of 80,000 Hours, because he actually gave me the idea for running this study. All right, so we asked 189 people on Mechanical Turk the following two questions. First, how much do you think it would cost a typical charity to prevent one child in a poor country from dying unnecessarily by improving access to medical care? Okay? Then we asked them the same question again, but this time we said we're talking about the most cost-effective charities. The one, and we explained this is the ones that are able to do it at the lowest price of any charities. All right? Uh, and so just as a point of reference, GiveWell, they look, obviously, for the most effective charities they can find, and they estimate that against the Malaria Foundation is one of the, these most cost-effective organizations, and they think it costs about $3,200 to save a life equivalent or $7,500 to save an actual life. So I won't go into the difference between those two things, but it gives you kind of a ballpark figure. So keeping this in mind, the first question I have for you is, did more than 50% of the Mechanical Turk Turkers say it costs a typical charity more than $3,200 to save a life in a poor country? Because remember, that's the estimate that GiveWell gave uh, for, against Malaria Foundation. So do you think that more than 50% of Mechanical Turkers say this? So raise your hand now if you think the answer is yes. And put your hand on your shoulder if you think the answer is no. Okay, so it turns out the answer is no. Oops, I think we went too far. Uh, sorry about that. There, there we go. Okay, only, in fact, only 4% of people surveyed thought that it would cost more than $3,200. So think about that for a moment. GiveWell is saying that the most effective charity is costing about 30, one of the most effective charities is costing about $3,200 to save a life. And only 4% of the survey sample says that they think a typical charity, not a cost-effective one, a typical one, would be more than $3,200. Pretty shocking. Um, so they actually estimated the mean estimate they gave was about $488, the median $40. So that means that half of people thought it would cost less than $40 to save a life. So the takeaway from this is that it may sound very unappealing to say to someone, hey, get excited, for thousands of dollars we can save someone's life, and they're going to think to themselves, well, I thought we could do that for, you know, $40. Okay, so what, why do people give this answer? So we did qualitative research to try to figure this out. Um, so common answers that people give for why they think it's so cheap to save a life, they say, well, the supplies for saving a life are cheap. Like, the, the, the basic medicine is cheap, especially in poorer countries. Um, they all, some people also report seeing advertisements from charities saying things like, oh, for $3 you can save a child, you know, these kinds of things. And I think that that can have an effect where they end up believing that these numbers are kind of really should be taken at face value. Um, but many people, of course, are just saying they're going with their intuition. They're not sure why they said that that was just their best guess. Now, there's a common view in effective altruism that typical charities can be way more effective than, uh, sorry, sorry, way more expensive than the most cost-effective charities. So like 10x or more, more expensive to do the same amount of good. And in some cases, people believe that the typical charities in an area might not even be doing good at all or could even be doing harm. So with this in mind, my second question for you is, did participants in this study estimate that typical charities 
require more than 10 times the money to save a life than the most cost-effective ones. So remember, raise your hand if you think the answer is yes, and put your hand on your shoulder if you think it's no. These are Mechanical Turk workers. This study is, is just on Mechanical Turk workers. Okay. The answer is no, and I think most of you got that. They only put it about 1.3 to 1.6 times. So if we look at the data, they, they estimated it about $361 uh, for the most cost-effective charity versus $488. Or if you look at medians, it was $25 versus $40. So this is like a 26 to 38% improvement by going to the co most cost-effective rather than the typical. And I think this is really interesting because it means that like, if you're trying to say to someone, well, we've got to investigate what the most cost-effective charities in the world are, but someone kind of has this implicit underlying belief that that's only going to give you an extra maybe 30% boost to your cost-effectiveness, that's not going to be a very exciting value proposition. So we, we looked into this further as well with qualitative research trying to understand why do people feel there's such a small gap between the typical charity and the most cost-effective, and what some people said is that well, they just felt there's very little room for improvement. They basically like, felt that the typical is the best, pretty much. There's not much better you can do. Um, also, people pointed almost entirely to ways that charities could reduce costs. They said, well, maybe this charity could spend less money on advertising. Maybe this charity could like, make a better deal with their suppliers and save some money. What they seem to not really realize, generally, is that there are different interventions you can do. That one intervention to save a child's life may be very, very different in effectiveness than another. And so I think this is an interesting takeaway, that there might be a lot of people out there that just doesn't even, it's not even on their radar, the possibility that there could be one intervention that's, say, 10x or 20x more cost-effective than another. Okay, this takes us to study two, which is about the chance of catastrophic events. And for this, we asked 223 mechanical Turkers, and 25 effective altruists um, to estimate the probability of various global risks. We also actually had another group with 35 people who say they partially identified as effective altruists. And interestingly enough, in almost every case, they fell somewhere between the Mechanical Turk group and the effective altruism group. So they're kind of like partial, partially is yeah, interesting. But um, okay, so now my next question for you, do Mechanical Turkers assign a higher probability than EAs to the possibility that climate change will kill at least 10% of the world's population in 50 years. So raise your hand if you think it's yes, put your hand on your shoulder if you think it's no. The answer is yes. Actually, Mechanical Turkers thought there was an estimated, the median probability they gave was about 20% chance uh, that climate change will kill at least 10% of the world's population in 50 years versus 1% for the effective altruism group. Next question. It's the same thing, but now we're talking about nuclear war killing at least 10% of the world's population in 50 years. Uh, do you think mechanical work workers assigned a higher probability to this than EAs did? Answer again is yes. 10% chance versus 5% chance. Medium probability. Okay. Next question. Do mechanical Turk workers assign a higher probability than EAs to the to the possibility that a maliciously created supervirus or superbacteria will kill at least 10% of the world's population in the next 50 years? Yes or no? Again, mechanical Turk population thought this is a higher probability, 5% versus 1%. So I think this is a, a quite an interesting takeaway here, that I think a lot of effective altruists think that, they're the, like, that they are much more concerned about risks than, than other people. And I think in a sense that they are right. But it's interesting to see that a lot of these mechanical Turk workers, who probably many of them had never actually considered these questions, were giving higher probabilities to some of these risks. Okay, another question for you. 
do mechanical Turk workers assign a higher median probability than EAs to human extinction in 50 years? What do you think? Yes or no? EAs estimated as 100,000 times more likely. This was shocking. I, I triple checked this number because I like, just didn't believe that this was possible. But unless I really messed up the math, it's. it's So, one, so um, EAs put it at a 1% chance of extinction in 50 years versus 0.00001%.、Um, and I think this leads to an interesting takeaway that you know, if you're saying to people, like, oh, we're concerned about human extinction, we're trying to, you know, even if there's a small chance that a human is going extinct, we should really care about that. Well, what you mean by a small chance and what they mean by a small chance could be really different. And if, if, you, if people view extinction as essentially an impossibility, you're probably not going to make much headway on that argument. Okay, next question for you. Do EAs think it's more likely than mechanical Turkers that humanity creates a human paradise on Earth with the vast majority of poverty, human disease, and oppression eliminated in the next 50 years? What do you think? Yes or no? Okay, I think most of you got that one. Yes, 5,000 times more likely.、Uh, so I think this is 5% versus 0.001%. So I think this is another interesting thing about effective altruism is this kind of optimism that, like, hey, 5%, maybe we can build a paradise. Like, maybe we can make the earth dramatically, dramatically better than it is now. Okay, and this brings us to AI risk, of course.、Uh, so, you know, as you know, many EAs are concerned about AI risk in various ways.、Um, So here's a question for you. Do, do EEAs estimate that it's at least 100 times more likely than mechanical Turk workers do that super intelligent AI will kill at least 10% of the world's population in 50 years? What do you think? Raise your hand. OK, a y I think most of you got that. Oh, no, no, you didn't. 10 times more, only 10 times more likely. So,、um, so about 10% for the EAs versus 1%. So I found this pretty interesting. Because、uh, 1% probability is what the mechanical Turk workers were giving. That's not that small, right?、Um, I think a lot of people might think that people view this as like, you know, we put a much lower probability. What I think may be happening is that people may not be sufficiently valuing how horrifying a 1% probability of some really huge catastrophe is. Like, 1% is actually a high probability for something going that wrong. And so maybe people aren't fully appreciating the sort of the gravity of that 1%. Okay, this takes us to study number three, which is per- perceptions about farmed animal suffering. And for this one, we were really interested in looking at okay, a lot of people in the effective altruism community are concerned about suffering of animals. Where do we, for a non effective altruist group, where do we start kind of finding that people are disagreeing? Like they start saying, yeah, no, I just don't buy that. You know, so, so we can kind of look at these different questions and look where, where we start getting divergent viewpoints. So in this one, we asked 103 mechanical Turkers questions related to animal suffering. Uh, and we wanted to see where they diverged. So, first question for you Do more than 80% of mechanical Turkers think that animals feel pain? Now, keep in mind this is a group that, by and large, they're mainly not going to be vegans or vegans.、Um, raise your hand if you think yes. Yep, 99%. So, I thought this was really interesting. Like, there's basically no reason to try to convince someone that animals feel pain. People already believe it. We also tested whether they think animals suffer, and 99% also said they think animals suffer. Okay. Now, again, keeping in mind that, the, that most of these people are not vegetarian or vegan, do more than 25% of mechanical Turk workers say it's wrong to hurt farm animals? Yep, 
65% thought it was wrong, uh, 21% said they weren't sure, and 13% said no. So I think this is interesting that you, like most people are saying, yeah, it is wrong to hurt farm animals. Um, so then you, you know, it obviously raises questions around, okay, but like where do they start feeling that it might be okay? Um, so, uh, and there's, a, there's kind of a takeaway here that, um, that maybe like we don't necessarily have to sell people on all the ideas that we, we necessarily think. Maybe people are already bought into certain ideas and other ideas are the ones that they may not know about. So, so when we started looking deeper into this, um, we asked, do you think it's wrong to hurt animals if you hurt them mainly because you enjoy the way they taste when you eat them? And actually, people agreed with that less. There, were, there was uh, more disagreement there. And so we wanted to know why. Why are they disagreeing more there? And so we started looking into what they, qualitatively what they said. People said things like, well, slaughtering animals is not the same as hurting them. Maybe you can slaughter them in a humane way. They said, well, it's kind of more okay to eat something because you enjoy the taste if you're also getting these other benefits like nutrients and it's improving your health. Um, people said it's natural to eat meat, and they said that's okay that way. Um, they also said, well, these animals are bred to be eaten, and maybe that, you know, for some people justifies it. Okay, so then we asked, do you think animals suffer a lot when they are raised on farms for our food? And this one, we start seeing a lot more confusion. 46% of people said they weren't sure. So I think this is really interesting because a lot of people actually are unsure whether animals are, are mistreated at factory farms and things like that. And so we, we studied this further, looking at, well, why are people saying this? Uh, a lot of people said, well, it depends on the farm. Like, I'm sure there's some bad farms. I'm sure there's some good farms. But they didn't necessarily have a sense of about the farms that they're buying from. Um, others said they just weren't sure. They just didn't have a clue about how, people, how animals are treated. Uh, some said, yeah, they, they think they probably are treated well at these farms. Um, and others said, well, maybe at factory farms are treated badly, but maybe at small farms they're not. Okay, so I think there's a takeaway here that just a lot of, there's so much uncertainty around um, how people think animals are treated that there just may be room there for further education on these topics. Okay, this takes us to our last study, study four, which is about character traits in community. Um, and so for this, we, just, we defined and we measured two personality traits that we hypothesize are important for the long-term thriving of communities. And we compared these traits in 295 non-effect altruists um, that came from Mechanical Turk and Facebook, and 78 people who, who fully identified as effective altruists, and also 90 people who partially identified as effective altruists. So the first trait we're looking at, we call the trait of being a skeptic, but we're defining it more narrowly than you might usually think of it as a skeptic. It's being distrustful of external information and vetting it really carefully. And the idea is that like, everyone has certain trusted sources that they believe. But how do you treat other sources? Are you very skeptical and you, th you kind of vet that information very carefully or not? And so someone who has a skeptic trait would, answer, would say uh, they agree with things like, I know there's a great deal of information out there and you have to be very careful to avoid it. Or I think that people often bend the truth to their advantage. Or I'm an unusually skeptical person. And we think that there's this problem with skeptical communities which is that because they're so skeptical, they can reject outside perspectives and get stuck with the same ideas. They can spend 20 years like, just basically working with the same ideas and not evolving as a group because the bar for letting in new ideas or new information is so high. And now there's a solution for this, which is what we call seeking. Now seeking here we're defining in a very narrow way as valuing new perspectives that contradict your own. And so someone who has a seeker kind of personality might say they agree to things like, I think that there are many different worldviews that have something valuable to offer. I like when a new concept I learn challenges my perspective. I'm interested in listening to other people's views when they contradict my own. Things like that. 
But there's a problem, though, with seeking communities. And you can see this kind of in, in certain New Age communities where they are so open to other perspectives that they start letting in more and more different ideas. And their whole their community fills with a lot of bad ideas because the sort of the vetting is not there. Um, and so, of course, this seems to have a solution, which is this skepticism trait, being wary of new ideas and carefully vetting them. So you're, you're getting the, the good ones, but not the bad ones. And so this leads us to this hypothesis that being skeptical seekers is critical to the long-term health of the effective altruism community. And if you're interested in taking our, our skeptical seeker test, you can do that at bit.ly slash score underscore me. Um, you can take it after the talk. Okay, so now I have a question for you. Are, is the skeptic trait and the seeker trait negatively correlated to each other? Yes or no, what do you think? Turns out there's a slight positive correlation. Very low, though, because with R equals 0.22, it means like knowing one only lets you explain about 5% of the variation in the other. Second question for you. Do EAs have a higher seeker scores than mechanical turkers at large? What do you think, yes or no? The answer is yes, in fact. Um, so we, here we measure it relative to the, the general population. So the general population has 50% uh, here, because it's, that's the, this is measured in terms of percentile. Uh, we found that partially A's were at the 66th percentile on average, and fully A's were at the 71st percentile on average. Next question, do EAs have higher skeptic scores than mechanical turkers? Yes or no? Again, we found yes. Uh, partially A's, we found at 69%, sorry, 69th percentile in the population, and a fully A's at 76th percentile in the population. You can actually add these two traits together, you're seeking skeptic score, and there it actually gets even stronger. Like full EAs were at 80 percentile in the population in that case. And I think that this, these two ideas are actually very related to Julia Galef's concept of scout mindset. You should check out her talk about that. Um, basically, you know, you, a very, very uh, simplified definition would be seeking to understand the world as accurately as possible. And so if you think of these two traits of being a seeker and skeptic, being a seeker creates motivation for having scout mindset, but being a skeptic helps you do it well. Now, I wanted to let you know we released our data and code for these studies. Um, we ask that you please improve on our work. If you find this interesting, go download them, check them out, find mistakes in, in our analysis. Uh, you, at this link, you'll be able to find it all, or you can ask me and I can, I can give it to you all. But most importantly, I wanted to encourage all of you to keep seeking skeptically. Fascinating stuff. Thank you. Let's take a seat. We've got time for probably two questions. Great. And they've got the cameras trained on us. Um, first question, I'm looking at the Bizabo app here. You gave kind of an exhortation at the end to keep seeking skeptically, but... How else do you think people can use this data? I mean, it's fascinating to ponder, but how can we use it? Well, if you're thinking, some of this data bears on what people in the general population believe about different topics related to effective altruism. Now, Mechanical Turk is not a perfect proxy for the U.S. population, but it's a reasonable proxy in various ways. And so I think when you're, if you're thinking about an idea that you, want, you think is important and you want to spread it more widely, knowing what people already believe is really crucial to know where their starting point is and to try to build a path from where they're at to 
this idea that you're trying to teach them. So I think, like, for example, understanding where are people at in terms of their fear of existential risks or human extinction or things like that. It, can be a good, it just can be good to know that information. Awesome. I think that'll be a great transition also to our marketing panel, which is coming up right after this. So I hope our panelists heard this backstage. Um, probably the only other question we have time for right now. Give us a little bit, if you could, a sense for the distribution, especially for some of these uh, median values that were extremely low. Is that like a lot of zeros? And you know, when you have 0.000, yeah. however many O's, 0.001%, what does the distribution look like on that? That's a great question. So it's a lot of people have asked me, and I've told them about these studies, like how on earth did you solicit really tiny and really probabilities from people. So we did a bunch of kind of tweaking of various interfaces until we finally got it. So people really would give a wide range. Some people would put 99%, some people would put 0.00001%, right? Um, but the answer is there's a pretty wide range, yeah. It, it, like, there, you know, for example, on, I, I remember looking at the data on effective altruists making estimates about AI risk, there was pretty wide distribution. It wasn't like everyone thought it was, you know, 5%. Awesome. Spencer yeah. Greenberg, this has been illuminating. A lot of surprises. I think there's a lot more work to be done here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great.